since we are we're here to worship you because of who you are <laughs> you have been everything that we've ever needed and more and more and more and more and you just keep on getting better and better every day and God we've come to celebrate your name we've come to celebrate your name and to give you the glory and the honor and the praise not because of what you've done but because of who you are <laughs> Oh God, we love you right now. We love you, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. And now as we, because we love you, we, we really want to hear what you have to say. We feel like you have something to say to us today. Not trying to hear what Edmonds has to say. Really interested today to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And so God, open up our hard hearts. And help us to make some room today for change. Some room today for transformation. Oh God, we're praying right now that the enemy of our souls will not have any power over this service. Over this moment. We accept that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Not only are you our savior, but you can tell us what to do. And so we give you permission right now to give us the instruction that is needed. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen and amen. God is good. Amen? Praise God. We're just praising the Lord today to uh, be in the house of the Lord one more time. Amen? I want to take a moment before I open the word and just celebrate an individual. I, our church has been through a difficult week this week. We had two of our stalwart uh, not just longtime members, but committed saints over the years uh, to die and pass away asleep in Jesus Christ, waiting for his soon return. Uh, Sister Orr Whitted and Sister Norris Daniels. And our prayers are with both of those families. The funeral services uh, for Sister Daniels will be on Monday, and the services for Sister Whitted will be on Tuesday. Nevertheless, I want to highlight... Um, where is my dear sister? Sister Norris Daniel's daughter. <laughs> sister Opal Harold. Sister Opal Harold, is she here today? Sister Harold, would you please stand? Would you please stand? Sister Daniels does not have much family of her own. But I've come to realize that the blood of Jesus is what's thicker than water. And Sister Harold, we want to honor you today for how you have cared for Sister Daniels. Not blood relation, but connected by faith in Jesus Christ. And we know she used to give you a hard time, but you were very faithful with her. And we just want you to know in front of the entire congregation that your example is an encouragement to us all. And we put our hands together today. Praise the Lord. We'd just like to ask all the members that are able to attend both services. We will send out more one calls and give you information as it comes. Today is 40 for family. We're excited about going forward, and we've got a lot to share. And I want to get right into the word. I want to invite you, if you would go with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. What book did I say, everybody? In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. I want to preach on the subject today, in order to fix it, you have to face it. In order to fix it, you have to face it. And we're going to be dealing with family all month long, 
And uh, I've, I've been given a word by the Holy Spirit today that simply wants to remind everybody that the destination for your family is not retirement, it's not empty nest, it's not financial security, that the destination for every family in here is the sea of glass is the sea of glass. For those of you who don't know what the sea of glass is, the Bible declares that before the sea of glass, before the throne of God is a sea of glass, and that all the redeemed of the Lord from every family that has ever lived, those that have had faith in Jesus Christ, will one day sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. I don't know what that song is like, but they say that it says something a little bit like, just and true are your ways, thou king of saints. In other words, God, after all we've been through, my family can stand here and say, you've been faithful. You've been faithful. That will be the testimony of everybody that is saved. Not that I was faithful, but that God was faithful. You didn't hear what I said this morning. You will not be saved on account of your faithfulness. You will be saved. You'll make it in. How many want to get in? How many want to get in? You're going to get in on account of not your faithfulness, but on account of God's faithfulness. Let the church say amen. The first area that I want to deal with today is dealing with this area of fixing, in order to fix some stuff, we've got to be willing to face some stuff. Particularly, I want to talk to you today about having difficult conversations. Having difficult conversations. In every family and in every person's life, there is a conversation. And I'm, and I'm, I'm speaking... I'm speaking, on the, I'm speaking on the real, as we say on the, on the street corner. I'm speaking on the real. In my life right now, there is a conversation that I need to have that I don't want to have. How many know what I'm talking about today? If you rub shoulders with homo sapiens, that means human beings. If you rub shoulders with human beings long enough, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be issues. You're going to get hurt. Some folks are saying, listen, I don't want to love nobody anymore. I don't want to get too close because I don't want to get hurt. Well, if you don't want to get hurt, then you don't want to be loved or you don't want to love at all. It is impossible to be in loving relationships with husbands, wives, children, with church folk and not get hurt. Anybody know what I'm talking about today? It's inevitable. It is a part of the process. And with the pain that comes, there are these moments where we must have these crucial conversations, these difficult conversations that most of us don't want to have. And I want to first start off by saying this. There are some of us that love conflict. Y'all know who you are. You know who you are, and I know who you are. <laughs> some of you have no problem getting in somebody's face and dealing with whatever you got to deal with, right? There are those, how many of you know people like that? If folk in your family, they call them straight shooters, they just... Now, and then on the other hand, you have folk who are really like that for real, and then you have other folk who talk like they are like that, but they're really not. Now, the great majority of us do not like conflict. The great majority of us do not want to have these conversations. How do I know that, Pastor? How can you make this judgment about me? Because one of the reasons I can identify that is simply because I can tell by the brokenness in the relationships that exist, not only in our church, but in our families, a lot of the mending, somebody say mending, a lot of the mending and restoration that needs to take place in a lot of our lives will start with a conversation. One of the worst things that can ever happen is when somebody dies before you had the conversation. 
or when somebody is out of reach before you have the conversation. People are always talking, I'm talking to people all the time, and, I, and one of the things that I've experienced in my life is that, that freedom that comes when you finally face what you need to fix. The struggle that I had in my life with, my, with the temptation and the desires that I have, thank God he finally gave me the strength to have some conversations. And in those conversations, those conversations often, they unlock in our lives the power to be free and to be healed from some things in our lives that have had us bound. Some of us are okay where we are simply because we're unwilling to have the courage to have the conversation. And a lot of times we'll spiritualize stuff and say stuff like, well, I'm just going to leave it alone. God told me not to. Well, I don't have time to go here today, but in, 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 in Matthew, the 18th chapter, I want you to write that down because a lot of church folk don't know that that Bible verse even exists. Can I just summarize what that text said? I, I would even go so far as to say, we violate this passage of scripture more than any other passage in the Bible. Matthew 18 basically says, if there is conflict, if you've been hurt, if somebody has disappointed you, if someone has not met your expectations, if someone, and I'm going to really wrestle with this today, has fallen into sin and you're aware of it, the word of God says in Matthew, the 18th chapter, that you are supposed to go to them one-on-one -on -one and have a difficult conversation. And so I want to wrestle with that today. I hope y'all shout, but if you don't, it's all good too. All right, Galatians 6, and I want to see, show you what the Word of God says here. The Bible says in verse 1, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, in a sin, you who are spiritual. Who does it say, everybody? You who are spiritual. Look at your word. Should restore. Somebody underline the word restore, restore, restore. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual. <laughs> Not everybody, amen, should restore him gently. The Bible goes on to say, but watch yourself. Somebody shout, watch yourself. Look on your shirt. Your shirt my, our shirts say, watch your mouth. I, wanna, I want us to get us to use our words. The Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. We're not trying to be insulting by wearing these shirts today. We just wanna re, we want you to remind you that there is power in your mouth. The Bible says, but watch yourself. Or you also may be tempted. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Verse 4, each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. Verse 5, for each one should carry his own load. I want to review this very quickly, give you an illustration, and I want to sit down. Today, I want to give you uh, the first several principles on how to have these difficult conversations. Now, I want, to, I want to preface this by saying this. Specifically in your family, when you have identified someone who is not in right relationship with Jesus Christ, the toughest conversations that I have discovered to have, even as a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, are to deal and to, and to talk with people through the difficulties and the vicissitudes of their sin. Amen. 
We'll fuss about our kids and that they didn't, they, they, they didn't do this and they didn't make good grades. But why is it so hard for us to have spiritual conversations? I'm going to take this a step further. One of the things about 40 for Family is this. 40 for Family is not coming here wearing red shirts, but 40 for Family is 40 days where we take a challenge and we say we're going to have worship. We're going to do spiritual exercises in our homes for 40 days straight because we realize the chains that need to be broken in our family can't happen on Sabbath when the pastor is preaching. We've got to set an atmosphere. Some of y'all ain't hearing me today, but that's all right. God's going to bring it anyhow. Some of, some of us have got to realize that whatever you've been doing is not good enough to break the... Have you noticed that things sometimes seem to be getting worse in your family? That the distance seems to be getting greater? That the strongholds seem to be getting stronger? And the word of God... Y'all better wake up in here. Come on in here, Zion. I need y'all to hear me today. I believe that what is needed more than anything is not for us to have better church, but for us to have better home living. We've got to take the experience of church into our homes so that the home is not a contradiction of what happens in church on Saturday. And so what we discover in the word, I want to break this down very quickly. I want you to see this, what the word gives us instruction concerning. The Bible says that the number one issue that you ought to have in your home is the spiritual brokenness that exists in your home. Some of you right now understand what I'm saying. You have siblings and children and you have uh, cousins and nieces and nephews that you know are far from God. Or they are being hypocrites in their relationship with God. Or they are lukewarm in their relationship with God. And I have discovered this, that it is very difficult for us to even address it. What we simply do is say, I'm just going to pray about it. Brothers and sisters, the word of God does not say sit around and pray about it. The word of God says if you're spiritual. First point. Point number one, the only people that can address, and I got to clarify this, the only people that can address the spiritual brokenness of other people are spiritual people. What kind of people did I say, everybody? Spiritual people. Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor? What is a spiritual person? A spiritual person is not a perfect person. Can I tell you what a spiritual person is? A spiritual person is revealed in the next line. The word of God says, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Now, now watch this now. Only spiritual people know how to deal with the delicate nature of somebody that is far from God. Now, let me just go here. Some of y'all don't need to say nothing to nobody about their relationship with God because you don't know how to talk. You don't know how to approach folk. You see, you, you, you're not spiritual. How can you say I'm not spiritual, pastor? Here's the definition of spiritual. It's in the next verse. The Bible says, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. A spiritual person is a person that recognizes that they're not spiritual. Did you hear what I just said? The most spiritual people in this room are the people who have the clearest recognition of their own sin. Our assumption is, is I'm spiritual if I don't sin. That's not what the word of God says. The word of God, thank you, God. The word of God teaches, I'm going to free somebody here today to open up their mouth and chase after a lost soul. 
You don't have to be perfect in order to deal with people with the sin in their life. Matter of fact, I want to tell you this. If you've ever messed up, if you've ever fallen on hard times, if you've ever found yourself in a, in a rock between a hard place and your relationship with God, then you are more than qualified to talk to somebody who has fallen into sin, that has found themselves far from God, and especially in your family. I got husbands in here and grandfathers and uncles who see little Johnny and see little Sally and Daquan and, and, and Tanisha and whoever else. Y'all see them far from God. You judge them, but you never speak peaceably to them. You never take a moment and say, I, I, I'm sorry, but I, but I can't just let this go by. I'm not going to sleep another night until I make an appointment with him, till I have lunch with him, till I deal with her and tell her gently that Jesus has need of you. Some of you have children right now and you don't feel like it's your responsibility. Some of you feel like it's none of your business. I'm going to tell you something right now. Here's what the word says. The word says, look very carefully in Galatians 6. It says, if someone is caught in sin. Now, now, now watch this now. If you know somebody to be in sin, I don't care whose child they are. I don't care who they belong to. If you're spiritual, it ought to bother you. Church folk really don't care if people die and go to hell. You can tell what you value by what you speak up on. Everybody in here protests something. Everybody in here gets an attitude with, okay. Let me, let me preach over here to these folk in the red shirts because the rest of y'all are going to be crazy. Everybody over here get an attitude about something. There's something that gets under everybody's skin. Don't worry, we ain't going to be long today. I just want to lay this thing out so we can build a framework for what needs to happen for revival. Do not expect your child to walk into the church one day or your husband or your cousin or your nephew. Well, this is what many of us want to see. We, we don't want to have no conversation. We don't want to address some of the stuff that we know that's going down. We simply just want to hope and pray that they show up in church one day, run down the aisle, and the pastor and the ministers of the church lead them to salvation. The scripture says when you see somebody and they are struggling in their relationship with God, if you're spiritual, which means I have a, I have a recognition of my own need for God. The Bible says you chase after him. Do you remember the, 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 the parables in Luke 15? Huh? The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost boys. It's the lost boys, right? Remember that? And, and out, of, out of the three stories... There was a chase two times. The woman was looking for the coin. Do you realize in those biblical days that if one coin was missing from the necklace, it was invaluable. It, it no longer had any value. If one person is missing from your family, I don't care what you're doing. I don't care how you're doing it. I don't care what you're driving. I don't care where you're living. If you have one person in your family that is not in relationship with y'all, we're going in there today, that is not in relationship with Jesus Christ, you ought to call a 911 code red in your house and no one should stop ceasing to fast and to pray until that family member is saved. 
You know, some of these Amber Alerts sometimes, I, you know, I've told my wife and we've talked and I said, man, I can't think, and some of you have experienced this, but in my mind, I, I'm be honest with you, one of, one of the things I fear the most in life is if somebody called me one day and they said that your child is missing. I've never experienced it, but just in my natural mind, I'm saying, I, I, I mean, some, some folks have said it's better than dead than to be, and then to just be missing. You just don't know where they are. You don't know what has happened to them. At least in death, there is closure. But there are some people that have gone years, 30, 40 years, hoping and wondering if Johnny or somebody is going to come home. And what I've noticed is, especially in certain parts of the country, when somebody goes missing, they'll stop everything. It'll be on CNN all day long. They'll, they'll put the picture up. There'll be an Amber Alert, and, and they'll send out the dogs, and they'll send out the police officers. FBI will show up. I remember in Utah a few years ago, what was that little girl's name that went to missing? Now, we got folks in the hood that go missing all the time. Don't nobody come down here with a camera, but that's a whole other story. But I'm saying, anyway, this little girl went missing, and, and I was just amazed how everything stopped. Everything stopped in the media. Everything stopped in government. Everything stopped. They went looking for this missing child. And the Holy Spirit says, my God, my God. He said, man, he said, Edmonds, look at that thing. He says, that's one of the reasons why the church is so stuck and is so dead is because we have not pursued. We have not taken up chase. We are simply sitting around praying for people to come back. When God didn't tell us to pray, God told us to go looking. You don't pray in your pew. You pray and look. You pray and search. But let's just face it. It's tough having those conversations. Can I get a witness here today? How many of you have in your mind right now, by the raising of your hand, a conversation with a family member that you know has an issue in their relationship with God? I want you to raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now. All over this place. For every hand that goes up, that's an additional seat that should be filled in the church. And the question is, is well, it's not, just, it's not God's will for them to come back yet, Pastor. This is not that timing. That's possible, but I do think that there is something to the chase. Let's go to Genesis 3 very quickly. In Genesis chapter 3, when the family got broken, when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? Did God stop and pray? What did he do? The Bible says that even though he knew, no, here's the thing that blows my mind. Even though he knew where they were, he still went looking. See, some of you are saying, it's no need for me to go looking, Pastor, because I know where they are. But see, we're not talking about physical location. We're talking about spiritual location. I know you know where they are, but hear me right now. Some of us, some of, some, I have some young people in here who have parents that need to have difficult conversations with their parents. Your parents send you to church, and they stay home. Talking about building a place for grace. Talking about 40 for family. Talking about coming here and celebrating family. Listen, how can we celebrate? How can we rejoice when we have people in our families that are lost? And it doesn't bother you. Oh, it does bother you. But it only bothers you to the extent that you just hope that something good will happen. God has given us a plan. He says, look, very clearly, he says, brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. That Greek word, therefore, restore, literally means, <laughs> gives the picture of a broken bone. 
Now, what do you do with a broken bone? You don't do surgery. You know that, right? You don't do surgery on broken bones. With broken bones, they cast that thing for the most part. For the most part, they cast that thing because the bone has the power to heal itself. It just needs to be repositioned. There's no heavy surgery for broken bones. There is more surgery for torn ligaments than there is for broken bones. Anybody have an ACL tear or rotator cuff tear or, or some kind of tear? But when it comes to broken bones, it's all about repositioning. Oh, you're not hearing me. If, if you could just get it back into position, then it will naturally begin to metastasize itself and heal. What God is saying with us when it relates to those in, in, in our families, loved ones, and friends that are lost, God says, just put them in position. What do you mean, what do you mean Pastor? What I'm saying is this, the presence of God is not at church. I'm not, I'm not waiting on them to come to church. Some of us are so caught up in, they're not at church anymore. But just, Thank you, Jesus. Just because you're not at church doesn't mean that God can't find you. Hear me now. Being at church is not the position. Because if it were, everybody in here would be healed. Everybody in here would be saved. Everybody in here would be more loving. Everybody in here would be more righteous. Everybody in here would be more evangelistic. So I'm just come to tell you today that the position is not in a building. The position is wherever the presence of God is. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying the way that you do this thing to bring about restoration is to unashamedly put love all over folk that are far from God. They can argue with your doctrine. They can argue with your philosophy. They can argue which day you ought to worship. They can argue whether they ought to wear this or wear that. And I wish we'd stop getting caught up on that kind of stuff. What somebody wears or how they look if you position them. We're not over that yet. It is 2014, and we have lost generation after generation after generation after generation. Some of the most saved folk in the church, all their kids is gone. Something is wrong with that. What's up with a church that has all these folks that love Jesus, but their siblings and their, their children and, and their heart, nobody wants what you have. I'm wrestling with this thing, and I'm saying to myself, listen, to the true test of your spirituality is not how you roll around church people. The true test of the power of God in your life is how people respond to you who don't, who don't go to your church, who's still getting high, who's still at the club, who are now accepting homosexual lifestyles. Position them in the presence of God. But pastor, I can't get them to church. They won't come. I didn't ask you to bring them anywhere. I said, you, with the spirit of God in your life, just get around them. I'm telling you, it works. When the Holy Ghost is in your life, 
and you just rub shoulders against folk that are lost in due time. Something is going to happen in them that is happening in you. Here's the problem. We don't have it, though. Let's talk. Let's talk. It ain't in us. First of all, we're scared to talk about Jesus. Some of of y'all work every day, and they don't know you saved because you ain't. If people don't know you saved, then you ain't. Yo, let me tell you what I love to do. I love not telling people I'm a preacher. Oh, I love that. I love the reaction. I love it. Just the other day, my kids at a camp at the Y, and I'm over there, and I'm sucking and jiving with the guys, shooting ball, and just, you know, what's up, brother? How you doing? How's life? Yeah, man, speaking to everybody I see, the white guy at the desk, everybody. Hey, how y'all doing? Good afternoon. Just trying to put that love on folk. I don't know, God might, God might arrange circumstances one day where he puts me in the same position as these people, and he might use me to bring about restoration. I never take any moment for granted. I never take any person for granted. You don't know who you're looking at. You could be looking at the next evangelist. You could be looking at the next pastor of this church. You could be looking at the next doctor, the next lawyer. I, don't, I ain't offended by that. I'm out here to play ball. Where y'all at? Let's who? No curse words come out of my mouth. Huh? Huh? I ain't cheating. Huh? Yo, man, where you work at? I, uh, I work down so-and-so. 105. Yeah, what you do? I'm locked in now. I'm locked in. I'm a pastor. What? Now, some of y'all like that. Y'all like the other. Oh. That, look, look. Y'all think that there is power in all of this. Yo, and let me help you out right now. I'm, I'm going to call my own number. You know, uh, black folk call everybody Doc, but I am Doc now. I am. I'm Doc. Give me, come on, baby. Give me some. I'm Doc. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, sir. Uh, your boy is Doc for real. But check this out. I don't want nobody calling me that. Y'all going to get it. See, what has happened in this society? Let me tell you why I'm not in the titles, and I do believe in the importance of showing respect, but we're living in a generation now where people do not respect titles, people respect relationships. And if, oh, hear me now, if you have a title and your title does not match your relationship, then they will discard you. What I want to win is not people's respect only, I want to win people's hearts. And, my, and the draw on Myron is not going to be what he's accomplished. The draw on Myron is not going to be his sermons. These are for you. The draw on Myron, this is what I want in my life. I want the draw in me to be the God in me. The love in me. The love in me. The love in me. I love anybody. I don't care how they walk, whether they walk sweet or straight. It doesn't matter. I know where the Lord has brought me, and I want everybody to have what I got. If you really loved him, you want everybody to have what you got. 
if you're really living it up with Jesus right now, you want everybody to have the freedom that you have, the worship that you have, the praise that you have, the blessings that you're going to pray with me in here. If you know that you're blessed and you're too blessed to complain about it, open up your mouth and give God some worship. Thank you, God. I want him to have what I got. I want him to have what I got. I'm on a mission. It's mission critical for me. I don't want my brother to go to hell. And I hope he's watching. Five of us. Raised in the home of a pastor. Mother, God-fearing. Two of us is walking with the Lord. I'm on a mission now. I hope y'all get saved. And I really don't care whether you think I'm doing a good job or not. I got, I got my brother Corey, my sister Yolanda, and I got my sister Letitia that I need to get into the kingdom. If y'all get there, bravo. Good for you. I'm not getting on the sea of glass unless my family is there. And like, and like 50 Cent, I'm going to die trying. I'm going to die trying. It doesn't even bother. And, 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 you know, we, we don't want to offend. We don't want people to view us as queer. We, we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to be rejected. Have you ever seen anybody in danger before? Has anybody ever seen somebody in danger? And you had to speak up and tell them that danger was coming. Let me ask you a question. Did you, when, did, did you ask, did you feel guilty about how you saved them from danger? Never forget, my father was in an accident in 1997 at Allegheny East Camp Meeting. He was inside of a trailer. He was over the trailer area where people had their motorhomes and fifth wheels set up. And one particular lady, Gwen Farmer, may she rest in peace, called for my father's assistance, said she had a problem with her, with her, uh, with her stove. And when, when, when my father went in to check it out, he, he did not realize that she had tried to light the pilot and there was a leakage of gas and basically, the entire motorhome was a propane tank. He tried to light the pilot. And to this day, he says, I sniffed for propane. Anybody know about propane? You can smell it. He said, I sniffed for propane. I do this. And I could not smell it. I believe that the enemy of his soul kept him from recognizing the danger. Well, anyway... He lit the pilot, boom, blew the top off, blew him out of the trailer, blew her out of the trailer. She was in the doorway, and the whole thing was engulfed in flames. And my father said, ordinarily, I wouldn't touch a woman this way. Y'all going to get it. Her dress was up, her extremities were out, and her appendages. My father didn't pause and say, she's naked. You shouldn't touch a woman when she's naked. Let me call for another woman to come and save her from fire. Or, this ain't none of my business. Let me walk away. I don't want to be falsely accused. When, when the woman was on fire, 50% uh, of her body was third-degree burns. 
when she was on fire, he says he didn't think about any of that. He says the only thing he thought of, he grabbed her by her hair, he grabbed her by her leg, and he threw her out. You're going to get it in a second. When somebody's in danger, you throw off the restraint that you normally would have when they're not in danger because the mission is critical, because the issue is of a serious nature, and when it comes to the salvation of our families, stop sitting around hoping that a sermon is going to get them one day when the Holy Ghost has come into your life. Why don't you do the work of God, have some confidence in the Holy Ghost, have some confidence in your prayer life, have some confidence in your gentle spirit, and do something! Let me close this out. Story of uh, David in 2 Samuel 13. David had just committed the sin with Bathsheba. You know the story. The man of God, the worship leader. Most of the Bible written by David. The one who said, created me a clean heart. I knew the right spirit. David had fallen into sin. And if it didn't get worse than adultery, and we always pick on the adultery, but he killed her husband. I know we got some sinners in here, but that's next level sinner stuff right there. I know y'all can get nasty and bad, but we talking about scandal on a whole nother level. Cover up on a whole nother level. And now watch this now. Can I make it a little worse? David went a whole year and did not even repent. A year later, Nathan the prophet said, I got to have a difficult conversation. Now, 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 what I've always wanted to know is, is because everybody, according to the record, watch this now, knew what David had done. It was not a secret. My question is, is what took Nathan so long to go after a lost king. It's the same thing that takes us a long time. When we go after somebody that's lost, we're afraid. We're more concerned about how they're going to perceive us or if they're going to reject us. Listen, you cannot, listen, in the work of soul saving in your family, you cannot care what your kids think. You can't care about what your husband says. You have got to believe that this is mission critical and that if I don't speak, the Bible says, their blood will be on my hands. So Nathan finally got the courage and said, I'm going to have a conversation. Can you imagine that? Going to a man who has the power of life and death on you. So I like the way he set it up. He sets it up by, he, he got to yield. They, he doesn't just go out dating. Now watch this now. See, spiritual people know how to talk to folk. Watch him out. Some of y'all don't know how to talk to people. You're so dang on mean. And the reason why you're mean is because you done forgot where the Lord has brought you. I ain't going to call no names, but I have talked to some of the old saints in here. And some of the old saints, uh, I can't, I'm going to convince them one day to get up and testify. But some of the old saints in this church, we had a little testimony service the other day in my Bible study class. And we got a, we got a sister in our class that used to be known as Shotgun Sally.
<laughs> she said the reefer man knew who she was. But when you see her shouting in here, and when you see her lifting her hands in here, and when you see her out in the hallway shouting unto God with a voice of triumph, when you hear her giving God the glory, somebody knows who I'm talking about in here. When you hear her worshiping, I, for the first time in my life, sat in that class, and I said, I see why she praises him. I see why she runs. I see why she dances. Sometimes they, come on, talk to me, say, sometimes they look at them gray hairs and they don't think that you could get down back in the day. But if the truth be told, you used to be wild back in the day too. But if it had not been for the Lord on your side, don't let these babies, don't let these babies think that you ain't never been nowhere or never done nothing. Let them know that I used to be wild, but I found Jesus and he's closer than any brother. He was there in the midnight hour. Say, baby, my legs can't move like they used to. But back in the day, I could cut that floor if I wanted it and drop it and pull it back up. You don't know where God has brought me. I see you, Brother Davis. I see you better wave. Yo, you better praise him with tears in your eyes. Come on, let's praise the Lord. With tears in your eyes, Brother Davis. Give God the glory. And here's the thing, we're seeing people all around us that have been where we've been, and you won't say nothing. Nathan said, I can't keep silent no more. Now, let me tell you when to pray. Did I tell you when to pray? There is a time to pray. You pray after you've decided, after the Holy Ghost has told you that it's time to go. You begin. This is what your prayer is. God, prepare their heart. Because I'm going to prepare their heart. There's some folk out here right now, God put in my spirit, that you have children that don't live with you. And, you're, and in your mind, you're saying, I have not really been in their life. Who am I to have this conversation? The Holy Ghost ain't asked you that. This could be the way. Arika, can I give y'all some practical stuff? Can I give you some practical stuff? Man, take somebody out to eat. Take them out to eat. Sit there. And listen, you ain't, listen, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like where you're going. I don't like the friends you're hanging with. This is how you start. You ready? This is how you start. Look all throughout the scriptures. This is how you start. I want to apologize. I need, I need you, Glenville, to take ownership of everything that the Spirit of God has revealed to you that has contributed to their lostness. And do not be so high and mighty to think that you are not the problem. I was reading in a book called Boundaries the other day. In a book called Boundaries the other day. The book called Boundaries the other day. Uh, your boy says in the book there, he basically says this. He said a couple came before him and said, we have a child. He's wild. He's crazy. He has no responsibility. He has no respect. He's doing whatever he wants. He doesn't follow rules. Uh, we're sick and tired of him. He has a problem. The, the psychologist said to him, he says, uh, what's his problem? He said, I told you, he's wild, he's crazy, he's, he smokes, he drinks, he's out there, he's doing, he said, okay, I, I, I don't get what his problem, he don't have a problem. You got the problem. He obviously doesn't have a problem with what he's doing. He's enjoying himself in his mind, he don't got no problem. You're the one with the problem. 
You want me to fix him, but I believe that there's something in you that needs to be fixed in your relationship with your child. Nobody wants to admit that they are responsible for the mistakes of others. And don't get me wrong, there are people who make their own choices. This is not, I'm not here to beat up on anybody today. But what I am saying today is that in order to have the conversation and get the desired result, you have to own something. Some of you will say, well, well, I wasn't a Christian when I was raising my children and I accepted the Lord after that. And so they have made their own decisions. Well, then you need to apologize for that. You need to say to them, I'm sorry that I did not know the Lord when I raised you. I wish that I did. But now that I have found Jesus, he, is, he has changed my life. I'm not perfect. I'm not what I want to be. But you know I'm not where I used to be. But see, everybody can't say that because the people that know you the best are the family members around you. And I'm going to tell you why some of you are not having that conversation. Because you know you are not living right. Let me add this here. What's up with my parents and aunties and uncles who see folk getting married and they're not ready and you don't say nothing? You know what? Let me tell you something. And I'm going to preach about this next when we come back. There is a culture of silence in black families that is sickening. Sickening. Now, forget all the other practical stuff, but, but many of us know we have relatives, some of our own children and siblings that do not know Jesus Christ, and, and, and all you're doing is hitting them up on the Sabbath stuff. You're mad that they eat shrimp. You bother because they wear uh, 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 revealing clothes. That ain't the issue. The issue is, is they don't know Jesus. They don't know him like you say you know him. I'm done. So here's what happened. Your boy, your boy uh, Nathan confronted David. What did your boy David say? Oh, I've sinned. See, that's what, that's what a Holy Spirit-filled person, that's what God can do through them when they put themselves aside for the sake of the salvation. Y'all not hearing me. I can't save them. The church can't save them. Code red, 911. We've got family members that are lost. Get up and do something. Let him use you. Now, you would have thought that after David got forgiven, called out, that he would have done the same for his children. The next chapter says that his son Amnon loved his half-sister, Tamar. The Bible says that he was sick in love with her. 
said that his cousin, Joe Nadab, let me just tell you, if you got a cousin named Joe Nadab, <laughs> your boy is crooked. Your boy, your boy Joe Nadab walked up to Amnon and said, man, you look like you're losing weight. What's wrong with you? He said, I want my sister. Oh, he said, oh, you want her? Said, oh, I'll tell you how to get her. You play sick. Ask your daddy going to come see you. When your daddy comes see you, tell your daddy that you want your sister to come see about you. And when she come, do your thing. It's all in the Bible. Do, get it. Word of God says it went down just as Joe Nadab. <laughs> Don't name your kids Joe Nadab, I promise. <laughs> your boy Joe Nadab called that thing. Amnon incestually rapes his sister. Before, before, before she gets raped, he, she says to him, look, just marry me. Don't, don't, even, don't go through this. The Bible says after he raped her. Now, here, this blows my mind. This is a whole other sermon, but this is why I tell single folk don't get physical at all with your intendants. Nothing. Don't tongue kiss them. Don't grab their behind. Don't do nothing. Oh, y'all I'm grown. You can't tell me that. I'm, I'm 40 years old and I'm dating. Don't, don't, don't let them touch you. Don't you touch them. Shoot, back in the day, <laughs> see, back in the day, you know, you go that, that, this far, no, not no more. <laughs> I don't need this alone. So the Bible says after he raped her, the scripture says he hated her more than he loved her. When you violate somebody, it's hard to love them. Now, here's what I want to end with. David finds out. And her brother Absalom finds out. Watch the two responses of these brothers. The Bible says, I'm going to start with Absalom. Absalom tells his sister, don't say nothing. Black families. Listen, it's insects. And molestation and all this stuff. And, and here's the crazy thing. It's folk. Your brother molested your children, but because he's your brother, you scared to say something. And now your kids hate you. Because they know you know about it. And you never said nothing about it. In the name of protecting our family. Put his behind in jail. Look, I, I was, I, the Holy Ghost told me to say this. I just wondered when he was going to let me, give me the permission to say it. What I'm saying now. I've got big, strong elders and deacons in this church. Stand up. Stand. You. You. <laughs> Right there, right there. You, right there. You, right there. Sam, you're strong in mind, so you stand right here. Stand. Right there. Stand. Six, three, six, two. Gonna be. And Jesus comes. Six, two. 350. Well, I don't know. 345. Boom. Boom. This is an offensive line right here. Man, I, man, I just want to run through this hole just to see what it feels like. 
hear me now. Hear me now. And I, I, the Holy Spirit told me, I thank you, God, for giving me the timing to say this. If there are people in this church that you know are inappropriate with women and children, I'm going to unleash. Hear me now. I don't want to think I'm joking. I'm dead serious on this. I'm going to unleash terror. What I've known in the church is, in the church, there are people that we know. I want to unleash 350 on them. 325. What you? Don't say it. Yeah, amen. Huh? 250. 250. Put it on them. Because there is a culture of silence in our church, and there are people in our homes and in our families, and we know they ain't wrapped tight. Sit down, fellas. Sit down, fellas. Holy Holy Spirit told me the other day, if you identify them, kick they behind, ask questions later. You think I'm joking. You think I'm playing. I ain't playing. I had a family member tell me the other day, oh my God. One of my family members confided in me the other day and told me that he didn't know that you can't let your children stay over everybody's house. Matter of fact, they came and told me, I don't want you letting, I don't, said mine with tears in her eyes. She said, do not let your kids spend the night at nobody's house. Watch your own family members. This ain't 1954 no more. Ain't no more Waltons. There's no Cosbys out there. We got a bunch of crazy folk in our families. And if we're not careful, what I cannot understand about David is David knew his children. How would David allow his son? I mean, he didn't, he, he was clueless. This man who was mighty in battle, this man was who was a who was a military strategist. I mean, how did he get conned by his own children? The word of God says this. It says after his daughter is raped, I'm thinking, David, you know, the scripture says Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. It's about to be on. It's about to be a civil war up in the family. The Bible says that David was furious. And I'm waiting. I'm like, here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. He's going to, he, now listen, I'm not trying to encourage violence. Don't go out there and shoot nobody. But I am saying that you ought to have a conversation gently to restore somebody if they are out of pocket. The scripture says all David did was get mad. You know, black folk good for that. We always get mad. Case in point, tell you a story. Friend of mine. She got real loose. Y'all know what I say when I, all the old school folk, you know what I'm saying. She became loose. She snuck in the house one night after being with some boy. She got home. Mama saw her coming in, and she knew what was going on. She didn't ask no questions. She didn't have no conversation. This is old school black family, and you know what I'm talking about. She went berserk. She starts swinging and throwing and punching 
and we believe in our families that that's right. But you're saying to me, some of y'all look at me like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> because behavior is a symptom of character. You can't beat character into your children. In black families, we hit first, talk later, not knowing that homegirl had been abused by her own father and was simply acting out, and now you're going to whip her. If she ain't wrapped tight, it's because of you. And then you won't go to counseling. You won't see nobody. You don't want the pastor to know. You don't want nobody to know. So because you won't face it, you're not going to fix it. And here's the sad thing. Every generation is going to get more and more dysfunctional and twisted. All David had to do was do the same thing that was done for him. Have a conversation. And this is all I want you to do. I apologize for being a father that had concubines and many wives. I know you had questions about all your stepbrothers and sisters. Well, I'm here to face it right now. I was not a good husband, and I know I have contributed to your dysfunction, but I've come here today because the Holy Spirit will not let me sleep until I have asked you and begged and pleaded for you to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior right here, right now. Stop running. Stop dodging. I beg of you, make the appeal. Make an altar call in your house. In a restaurant. On a bus. In the mall. You got to have that conversation. I ain't talking about they owe you money. Not that one. The conversation I'm talking about is you are concerned about their soul salvation. Go to them in love. Don't beat them down. Build them up. Tell them God's got a plan for their life. Tell them that you have found Jesus and since you have found him, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not without flaws, but you have the strength now to deal with all the junk in your life. But I thank God that day my dad told me all the stuff about him. Oh, I'm so free right now. I'm so free right now. You don't understand. That conversation that I had with my dad, thank God for Ron Edmonds. For his courage, he freed me. You don't know what that conversation will do. Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed.